Hello brothers and sisters, this is a sermon from 2012 I did as pastor of Hope in Christ Church. It is going to be from Jonah chapter 3 verse 10 through Jonah chapter 4 verse 5. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Today we're going to be in Jonah. The whale, because we've all heard the story of the whale. Every last one of us has heard the story of the whale, and how Jonah was running from God, and he gets swallowed by this great fish or a whale, depending on whatever translation you got. And he spends three days in the, the belly of the fish, and then he's vomited back up on the shore, and God says, no, go and do what I told you to do. We've all heard that. We've heard it a million times. We've heard the similarities between Christ and his three days in the tomb, Jonah and his three days in the belly of the whale. But specifically today, we're going to look at what happened afterward. What happens after Jonah gets spit out. What happens after he goes into Nineveh. After he tells them, yet 40 days in Nineveh shall be overthrown. That was the message that he brought. That's what God wanted him to do. Yet 40 days, Nineveh will be overthrown. So we're going to concentrate on our text. It's going to start in chapter 3 and verse 10. And if you will all rise, please. And God saw their works, meaning Nineveh, and that they turned from their evil way, and God repented of the evil that he had said he would do unto them, and he did it not. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. And he prayed unto the Lord, and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God, and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and repentest thee of the evil. Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Then said the Lord, Doest thou well to be angry? So Jonah went out of the city and sat down on the east side of the city, and there made him a booth, and sat under it in the shadow, till he might see what would become of the city. And you may be seated. So what we've seen was that God sent his messenger into a city and he told them if you don't straighten up in 40 days this place is going to be overthrown and he sent Jonah to do it now I don't know if maybe Jonah's own salvation from the belly of the whale was just a distant memory by this time what was going on in Jonah's head but he was angry with God for sparing an entire city the thankfulness apparently was gone from him that, hey, you saved me. But now when there's an entire city that's spared, he becomes angry with God for this. Some of it may have come from his own personal honor. Jonah was an Israelite. Nineveh was the capital of the Syrian Empire, which were diehard enemies of Israel. So, Jonah probably felt that Nineveh should be destroyed for the, their crimes against Israel. Jonah had to go into a city 
that was full of his enemies and proclaimed God's word. Secondly, Nineveh's reformation and repentance was a slap in Jonah's face because Israel had refused to repent and they refused to reform. They refused to turn from their evil ways and come back to God. And Jonah probably didn't think it was too fair that God would spare his enemies and not allow repentance to come from his own people. And we find ourselves, I know I have, in the same boat at times when we've prayed and prayed and prayed what seems like forever for family members and then we see wicked and hideous people on TV that have done great crimes, whether it be a murder in prison that was a national murder that comes out and says, oh, I've, I've seen the light, I've repented, I've turned to Christ, and, and I'm good now. I, I need to pay for my crimes. And they take responsibility for their crimes and their actions. But yet we still have our family member that we've prayed so much for that doesn't seem to see the light. And the question arises, why God? Why them that are so evil when there's just my family member here that I've prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed for? And it's quite the same, with, I'm sure, with what Jonah was feeling with Nineveh. Why not my people? Why not my family? Why these people? They're evil. They're nasty. They've done serious and bad things to us. Why spare them? We need spared, not them. They're evil. Wipe them off the face of the earth. Jonah may have also been concerned about his own testimony. When he went into Nineveh and he preached 40 days and Nineveh shall be destroyed, Jonah knew, as we can see in the text, that if Nineveh repented, the Lord would relent of the evil that he was going to do to him. He was not going to destroy them if they repented. And Jonah knew this, and that's why he started claiming, well, that's why I took off. That's why I ran. That's why. That's why, right there, because I knew you were a good God, and I knew you were gracious, and I knew if they turned from their evil ways. That's why I ran. <clears throat> but... What Jonah did is he walked into a city and started preaching this message of destruction. You need to, in 40 days. It wasn't a turn or burn message. It wasn't a repent and come to Christ or you'll be destroyed. It was a you will be destroyed message. When Nineveh repented and reformed, well, now Jonah's going to look like maybe a false prophet. He might look like a religious nut. He's going to carry the stigma around for the rest of his life. He's going to go and deliver this message, and these people are going to come up to him later, if they see him, and say, hey, that's that guy. I thought we was going to be destroyed in 40 days. Now what? Now what? We weren't destroyed. You're, you're some sort of nut. You're a weirdo. What, what's going on? I thought we was going to be destroyed, <laughs> and it's going to be a big joke. So he had his own personal testimony and his own personal feelings that he was lashing out from behind at the Lord. You know, these people are, when he walks in there and, hey, look, it's the end of the world guy. Hey, the world's a, the end of the world is at hand. So, you know, I, I can kind of see 
where he might be a little angry. He had his personal honor, his, his almost his family wasn't spared by what he considered criminals were. He had his own personal testimony that the Lord had sent him in to do something that was going to make him look like a fool if it didn't happen. And this is where this is where Jonah's corrupt nature got ahead of the grace that he'd seen in his own life and the grace and mercy that was shown to Nineveh and he goes on the attack. You know, he, he starts attacking God. He says, I knew it. I know you're a good God. I knew you were going to let them slide when I was at home. That's why I wanted to stay at home. That's why I sinned. I didn't sin because of me. I sinned because of you. Because I knew. I knew you were going to let them. I know you was going to let them get off. Should have just left me at home. Why did I have to come here? I knew you'd do this. I knew you'd spare them. But imagine a preacher nowadays that would be upset that an entire nation repented at his preaching. And this is really what we have. An entire nation. God sent Jonah in to preach to an entire nation. The nation repented and turned from its evil ways and the man is upset. Upset that an entire nation repented. <clears throat> just you know, just imagine a preacher now that would be scared to deliver that message because he's afraid. He's absolutely afraid that a nation is going to turn from their sin. I don't know why, but we can see just from the beginning of chapter four that for some reason Jonah feared success. He feared that Nineveh would return and repent. And instead of sitting on that hillside and watching Nineveh turn to the Lord and becoming an example, he would rather die. I would rather die than to live, he said. He'd rather perish than see his enemies spared. He would rather die than see salvation come to his enemies. He didn't want others to be a recipient of the free gift of salvation that he himself had partaken of. Don't ask me why. Would you rather die than see someone you dislike saved? Honestly, ask yourself that. Would you rather die than to see someone you dislike, or even your most hated enemy, would you rather die than to see them see the Lord's grace and mercy? This is where Jonah stood. He would rather have died than to see this city repent at his preaching. And this is where he starts getting a little chapped on it. He says, you're going to save me? Save me. Save me, but don't save them. Save Israel, don't save Nineveh. Save me, but not the guy down the street that does all the bad stuff. Jonah was putting himself in the place of God. This is where the Matthew 7, 1, where it tells us, judge not, lest ye be judged. He was wanting to judge the eternal security of other people. 
He was the one that was saying, I'm good enough for salvation, but they are not. I'm good enough for heaven. They are not. I'm good enough to escape hell. They are not. So that leads to the question, who then shall be saved? And now we're going to switch this over from Jonah because there's what I've laid out shows into our own lives now that too often we may use our own judgment to decide who God will save and who he's going to destroy. We want our family. We want our friends. We want them saved. The person that cut us off in traffic, the people that are crabby to us at the store, we don't want them saved. We don't even bother to say, hey, do you know Christ? We just get offended at our rude treatment and say, well, nope, I'm going to go back to praying for my friends and family. Some people are rude. Some people are nasty. That guy just cut me off in traffic. Maybe people at work. Maybe the next door neighbor. I don't know. But oftentimes, instead of making that message an all-encompassing message, we start picking and choosing who we're going to share Christ with. As if we now have a little secret locked in a box. And it's our little secret, and we're only going to share this secret with our closest friends and family. And everybody else is not going to get to know the secret. Love me, and I'll speak to you about the Lord. I'll tell you about Christ if you love me and treat me right. You upset me? Talk to the flames with you, Jack. And thus we start out on the same thing that Jonah was doing. We start off deciding Israel needs saved, Nineveh needs destroyed. I asked you earlier, would you rather die? and see your biggest adversary spared and brought to Christ? Would you say, praise God, for he is merciful and mighty to bring someone like this to their knees in repentance, to bring someone that was so hard-hearted and so evil that he's brought them to their knees, and I can now call him brother, I can call him sister, I can call him friend. Or will you say, they're going to find salvation over my dead body. No one like that needs to be saved. They're vile, they're hideous. God should not save such disgusting and worthless people. No way I'll say one thing to them about Christ. No way. And then we get in to exactly what Jonah was doing. And as Jonah had decided in his heart that he was not going to go to his enemy, he was not going to deliver the message that God had told him to deliver. God has ways of bringing Jonah to the exact point that he wanted him to be. He needed to get on a ship. He needed to be thrown overboard, swallowed by a great fish, and literally vomited, and it does say in 2.10, vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. So there sat Jonah exactly where the Lord wanted him, covered in fish puke, but where God wanted him to be. What's it going to take for us to see the Lord's working in people's lives, to see his grace and mercy, even in those we may not like, 
Are we going to need to be thrown overboard on a ship? Are we going to need to be swallowed by a fish? Are we going to need to be sitting in a pile of puke? Which is probably very degrading for him and very humiliating. And I don't know if there was people standing around when this big fish just popped out of the water. And, and hey, there's Jonah. What do you got to tell us? So Jonah gave God his two cents worth, which was about all I think God wanted from him was about his two cents. And he walked away and he sat down. Even though he had delivered the message, he seen that Nineveh had repented. He knew they turned from their evil. He knew that they had turned to the Lord. He still goes over and he sits down to see if God's going to do what Jonah told him to do. Either kill me or kill them. That's your choice. I'd rather die than see this. If you're going to do that, kill me. So he goes and sits and waits. What's it going to be? He's given the Lord a choice now. Either they die or I die. <clears throat> Instead of praising God for his mercy on these people, Jonah started condemning God for the actions that he had taken. He was asking him, how can you be so good to those that have sinned so greatly against you? And that's why our evangelistic efforts should be towards others according to God's leading. And it shouldn't have anything to do with our personal opinion. I don't think that's a real big problem in here, but I see it from Christianity a lot. I've seen it in my own life sometimes. I'm sure it might not be a practice, but I'm sure all of us at one point in time have walked past somebody, either because we knew them and didn't like them. We might have heard something about them we didn't like. Maybe they were dressed funny. Maybe they smelled. I don't know. But I'm sure all of us at one point or another have just kind of taken the wide berth around somebody, even though God was telling us, well, you need to go talk to that person. You need to tell him about my son. And we need to make sure that it's his will that's done and not ours. We should be eager to share Christ with others and not embarrassed or afraid. So afraid that it's going to take a supernatural happening, such as being swallowed by a fish and delivered to where we need to be to get us to speak. But I'm going to leave you today with a story. And it's a true story. And as I was preparing this message, it just so happened that as I was at work one day, a gentleman, we started talking about brother-in-laws. And he said, I'll tell you about my brother-in-law. He's incarcerated, but I'll tell you about him when we get a minute. He didn't want to tell everybody about his brother-in-law. And I said, okay. That'll, that'll be okay. So I waited a little bit. And this man, we'll call him Larry, most notably because that's his name. He walked up to me and he says, my brother-in-law's incarcerated. And I was thinking, you know, what, what's going on? You know, it's shoplifting, armed robbery, something like that, you know. Because he told me he's going to be there a while. And as he started telling me, this story, 
I could not speak. My jaw was literally draped open as he was talking. His brother-in-law had a problem with drugs. And his brother-in-law kept going to his mother-in-law, which was his brother-in-law's mom, kept going to her house and taking money to go buy drugs. So much so to the point that the mother had to get a protection order out on her own son to keep him away from her. Because he was a very violent person and he would do anything that he had to do to get money for drugs. And we can see that a lot. We see the violence that comes out with drug abuse and how people will do anything to get money to buy more drugs. One night the brother-in-law come back to his mom's house and Larry says, my mother-in-law was feisty. She was feisty. But he told her, don't ever let him in the house. Don't do it. And that night she let her son into her house. Two hours after her son was there, the neighbors come over because they had heard a commotion and there she was laying on the floor. Her own son had beat her unconscious. She went to the hospital where she spent, I believe it was five months in the hospital, coming in and out of consciousness. As her son sat in jail, pending charges of whether it was going to be aggravated assault, you know, they didn't really know. After five months in the hospital, she was moved to a nursing home for three months. In eight months of coming in and out of consciousness, and he really never told me if she come back enough, and I didn't ask, if she come back enough where she seen people and knew who they were, or if she was just opening her eyes and could talk a second and back in. Eight months after her son beat her, this woman died from the injury she received at the hands of her own son. And as he told me this, again, my mouth was draped open because I was not expecting what was next. He said that was five years ago. He said there was newspaper people, TV people, mm -hmm. people swarming our house. And, and I felt a bond with him at that point because of what happened with Uncle Mike, that I seen these same things. I seen these newspaper people that were just almost on full attack. They had to get that story and they didn't care about your feelings or anything. And there they were after the whole family. And the family wanted revenge. Bad. There was cousins that said, let's go bail him out and we'll take care of this ourselves. But they didn't bail him out. Eight months later she died. He was charged with second-degree murder, and right now he's serving 45 to 65 years in prison. Is that enough to put a man on your most hated list? Is that enough in your own life to have your mother-in-law killed by your own son? And what was even more shocking was after that he said, Yep, I'm going to get my brother-in-law here pretty quick. The Lord's been speaking to me. He said, my wife won't go yet. She just, I know she's forgiven him, but she won't go. He says, i got to go see him. I'm going to go talk to him. I want to see if he's had a change of heart. I want to see if after these drugs are out of his system and he's had time to think. If, if he's had his heart pricked yet. Despite the fact that his wife 
went through the death, a violent death of her mother, despite the fact that it was her own brother. This man stood beside his wife, did what he had to do for that family, and in the very near future, is going to Manistee to look and talk to his brother-in-law about the Lord that he has not seen in five years that would very easily be on one of our biggest enemy lists. And that's what I'm going to leave you with tonight. We cannot do what Jonah did. We cannot decide who gets saved and who doesn't get saved. We can't be angry with the Lord when he chooses who he'll save, who he won't save. We have to go and do what we need to do. We have to go out, as I've preached probably every message for almost a year now, we need to go out and share Christ. But we also need to be ready when that time comes, when the Lord asks us, go to that person, or if you see him and you're coming face to face, and he says, talk to him, say something to him, talk to him about my son. We have to do what Jonah was not willing to do, and we have to proclaim Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen.